Hello, my name is Manuel <coughs> Rama Montaldo. I have worked for almost 28 years in the Office of Legal Affairs of the United Nations Secretariat, particularly in its codification division, where I have been Deputy Director for Research and Studies, as well as Deputy Director. At present, I am Main Professor of Public International Law at Ort University in Uruguay. The purpose of the present talk is to describe the role that the special and ad hoc committees of the General Assembly have played in the process of codification and progressive development of international law, including, of course, the participation of the main committees of the Assembly on whose proposal such special and ad hoc committees were created in particular, but not exclusively, the Sixth Legal Committee. This role has been a significant one, as becomes evident if one considers the body of their work over the years. For instance, an examination of the activities carried out by a special and ad hoc committees of the Sixth, of the sixth Committee alone over the last 45 years, from 1968 until 2013, shows that, on the basis of their work, a considerable number of declarations and draft conventions were adopted by the General Assembly. Furthermore, in one case, the Sixth Committee resorted to model rules as the final result of its codification work on a given topic. And in two other instances, the final product took the form of conclusions, originally recommended by the Charter Committee, reaffirmed by the Sixth Committee, and adopted by the Assembly. A look at subject matters which have been covered by the documents just referred to reaffirms the observer in the importance of the work of these bodies. Thus, among the areas of international law and relations covered by declarations, we can mention the following. Friendly relations and cooperation among states. Definition of aggression. Peaceful settlement of disputes. Protection and welfare of children. Effectiveness of the principle of refraining from the threat or use of force. Prevention and removal of disputes and situations threatening international peace and security. Fact-finding in the field of maintenance of international peace and security. Cooperation between the United Nations and regional arrangements in the maintenance of international peace and security measures to eliminate international terrorism, <clears throat> and a declaration on human cloning. As regards now international conventions on which the work of the special and ad hoc committee has been of fundamental importance, the following examples may be mentioned. In 1994, on the safety of United Nations and associated personnel, in 1997, on the suppression of terrorist bombings. 
1998 on the establishment of an international criminal court, and in 1999 on the suppression of the financing of terrorism. As you can see, we, I have included the Convention on the Establishment of an International Criminal Court because even though a very early draft came from the International Law Commission and the final adoption work was done by an international conference, the all-important in-between work of producing a final draft with alternatives, which became the basic document of the conference, was carried out first by an ad hoc and then by a preparatory committee, both established by the sixth committee of the General Assembly. Other conventions, particularly in connection with international terrorism, originating in the work of a special and ad hoc committees, will be mentioned later as we progress with the present talk. As to the model rules, adopted in 1995 by Resolution 5050 of the General Assembly, they concerned the United Nations model rules for the conciliation of disputes between states. Finally, the two instances in which conclusions were adopted, they dealt with the question of the rationalization of procedures of the United Nations First, in, 1990, in 1984, Resolution 3388B of the General Assembly, and later in 1990, Resolution 4545. As may be gathered from what already has been said, the variety which emerges from the work carried out by ad hoc and special committees emerges not only from the subject matters to which they have applied their work, but also to the final form which this, works, which this work has taken up, whether a declaration, a convention, model rules, or conclusions. This flexibility also extends to the possibility that such final form may evolve in the course of the codification exercise. Often, <clears throat> although a treaty is envisaged at the beginning of the process, in the initial proposal, the course of negotiations prove that only a declaration of the General Assembly is feasible as a final result of the process. This was the case, for instance, regarding the development of the principle of the, the non-use of force, or more recently, regarding the regulation of human cloning. In this connection, it is worth pointing out that a, simi a similar flexibility has been applied by the by United Nations organs other than those uh, subsidiary or connected to the Sixth Committee. An interesting technique in this respect has been the one consisting in adopting a General Assembly resolution on a specific topic before undertaking the long and arduous task of elaborating a treaty on the same topic. The technique just referred to 
has been very fruitful in various areas, such as, for instance, outer space and human rights. Thus, before the adoption in January 1967 of the Treaty on Principles Governing the Activities of States in the Exploration and Use of Outer Space, including the Moon and other celestial bodies, there was three years earlier, in December 1963, the Declaration of Legal Principles Governing the Activities of States in the Exploration and Use of Outer Space. Likewise, before the adoption in December 1965 of the International Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination, there was, two years earlier, in November 1963, the United Nations Declaration on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination. Several others, other examples could be given. This technique has several advantages, particularly in the case of relatively new topics. It allows, tentatively, to open up avenues without premature rushes which might arouse resistance on the part of some states. Sometimes it is more useful to have a declaration adopted by consensus in the General Assembly which lays down certain principles on the topic than to have a treaty adopted by a very restricted majority which might never enter into force. A declaration can thus serve the purpose of creating a reflection delay or reflection period between the progressive acceptance of certain principles by the international community and their full consolidation at a later stage in an international treaty. Other advantages stem from the fact that a declaration is a more flexible instrument and one more likely than a treaty to be adapted in cases of evolution of the international society. It also has a quicker adoption process, and it may be addressed to all the actors on the international scene. As regards the four categories of final product emerging so far from the work of a special and ad hoc committees, <clears throat> to which we made reference earlier, namely declaration, convention, model rules, and conclusions, it may also be noted that a common feature to them all is the fact that the relevant text is attached as an annex to the General Assembly resolution, which approves the declaration, adopts and opens for signature and ratification the convention, draws to the attention of the states the model rules, or approves the conclusions. Still, on other occasions, the General Assembly may, in its relevant resolution, just make a cross-reference to the applicable recommendations contained in the report of the, of the subsidiary body which dealt with the topic, without annexing such recommendations to the resolution. The words used in the cross-reference contained in the resolution 
may vary considerably depending on the degree of political support which the relevant recommendations have gathered in the discussions of the Sixth Committee. Those words may be, for instance, to request all states to comply with the recommendations submitted by, or rather recommends to take into account the procedures described in, or even to bring to the attention of states, and so on. We may wonder about what kind of organs have led to the effective results that we have just described. In other words, we may wonder about what the nature of those organs is. It should be noted in this connection that the special and ad hoc committees created by the Sixth Committee with the view, for example, to drafting specific conventions or to developing certain principles of the United Nations charters, <clears throat> have always been composed of representatives of states. As a result of this, there tends to be a closer relationship between the work of the organ concerned and the positions of states on the topics which are part of its mandate. In this connection, <clears throat> one first question may consider, one first question that we may consider related to the political nature or special or of a special or ad hoc committees is that is the one related to the restricted or universal character of the organ involved. In the past, it used to be the rule that these subsidiary bodies of the General Assembly would have a restricted membership of around 20, 30, 40, or mostly 50 representatives of member states of the United Nations selected in consultation with the regional groups so as to ensure a sufficiently representative character of the whole international community. The point has often been made in this connection that a larger membership would not only entail organizational difficulties, but it could also hinder rather than facilitate the carrying out of the relevant organ's mandate. Now, withstanding what I just said, it is also true that in more recent years, the General Assembly of the United Nations has established a special or ad hoc committees of a universal membership to carry out codification tasks. An example was the ad hoc committee on the elaboration of an international convention dealing with the safety and security of United Nations and associated personnel set up by the Assembly in 1993 under Resolution 48 bar 37. Furthermore, in 1995, the Assembly transformed the 47-member <clears throat> Special Committee on the Charter of the United Nations and on the strengthening of the role of the organization into an open membership committee. Other examples of universal membership are the, prepar the preparatory committee created by the Assembly 
for the establishment of an international criminal court by resolution 50 bar 46 of 1995, to which I already made a reference at the beginning of this lecture. And the ad hoc committee established in 1996 by resolution 51 bar 210 of the assembly in order to elaborate an international convention for the suppression of terrorist bombings and subsequently an international convention for the suppression of acts of nuclear terrorism. By universal, it was meant that the membership was open to all members of the United Nations, its specialized agencies, or of the Atomic Energy Agency. It could perhaps be argued that this concern about universality on the part of the Assembly, as regards committee membership, might run against speedy results in the work of these bodies. Yet, an objective, an objective appraisal allows for the following two verifications which tend to dispel such fears. First, the membership of these bodies, although theoretically universal, becomes in practice considerably reduced. Only a certain number of United Nations members send delegations to the sessions, and even not all the delegations present in the session participate in an active manner. Secondly, it is undeniable that such bodies have produced concrete results in a rather short period of time. For instance, in less than one year, the relevant ad hoc committee and a working group of the sixth legal committee of the General Assembly drafted the Convention on the Security of United Nations and Associated Personnel of December 1994. Furthermore, the preparatory committee, already mentioned earlier, prepared in less than two years the basic document for the 1998 Rome Conference on the Establishment of an International Criminal Court. Still another example. The ad hoc committee established by Resolution 51 bar 210 and a working group of the sixth committee managed to draft a convention for the suppression of terrorist bombings in the course of only five weeks in 1997. Another question related to the political composition of a special and ad hoc committees is whether a specialized knowledge is present or is lacking in such codification bodies. This depends to a large extent of the subject matter which is the object of the concerned organ's mandate. If it is a typically political subject matter, most probably and in most cases, states will only include in their delegations members from their permanent missions to the United Nations. If, on the other hand, 
the subject matter is rather of a technical nature, there is a strong trend on the part of the states to include in their delegations experts mastering the topic of the committee's mandate. In practice, a certain flexibility may develop on this issue. For instance, the preparatory committee for the establishment of an international criminal court used to set at the end of each session the program of topics to be dealt with at the following session, as well as the calendar according to which each topic would be addressed, so as to make it possible for experts in international criminal law to take part in the session at a specific periods in which some points of the program of work would be tackled, questions of procedure, definition of crimes, and so on. Concurrently, it left for other dates the consideration of more general aspects such as the future organization of the court, its future relation with the United Nations, and so on, which could be addressed by the regular members of the permanent missions in New York. We must also consider the participation of subjects other than states in the process of codification undertaken by special or ad hoc committees. As regards intergovernmental organizations, examples may be given of an active role and a direct involvement of the representatives in the work of the subsidiary bodies under examination. Such was the case with the participation of representatives of the Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia and the Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda in the deliberations of the Preparatory Committee for the Establishment of an International Criminal Court. It was also the case with the participation by experts from the International Atomic Energy Agency in the meetings of the Ad Hoc Committee established by Resolution 51 Bar 210 of the General Assembly, already mentioned earlier, all at the time of the consideration by such body of a draft convention against nuclear terrorism. Such representatives and experts of intergovernmental organizations may not only make general statements on the subject under examination by the, bo by the body in question, but also participate in the discussion of concrete aspects of the relevant draft. As far as non-governmental organizations are concerned, there has been, over recent decades, a growing role on their part depending on the degree of interest that specific topics for codification may raise in the world community. Topics of a rather technical nature, like treaty law or diplomatic relations, are certainly not the kind to raise an interest in these organizations. But other topics which may have a direct incidence on the daily life of peoples or which appeal directly to their conscience, like, for instance, the law on the environment or the establishment of an international criminal court, have raised a massive interest on their part. 
Originally, the relationship of these organizations with the United Nations is contemplated in Article 71 of the United Nations Charter, which gives the legal basis for their consultative status with the Economic and Social Council. Non-governmental organizations can actually have a very fruitful role in the process of codification and progressive development of international law. The ways in which this role manifests itself are manifold. For instance, bringing to the attention of international public opinion the need to legally regulate a certain subject matter and fighting over the years, occasionally decades, so that such subject matter is included in the agenda of relevant organs, becoming a caucus or pressure group over state delegations with a view to advancing the topic in question, trying to influence the contents of a specific draft by submitting to delegations substantive documents, attending the meetings of the relevant bodies, and occasionally making general statements on the topic under examination, and so on. It is also worth noting that the role of non-governmental organizations in the process of codification and progressive development of international law has been recognized by the General Assembly of the United Nations in some of its resolutions. Thus, for instance, in its resolution 52 bar 160 of 15 December 1997, which convened the diplomatic conference of plenipotentiaries for the establishment of an international criminal court, the Assembly requested the Secretary General of the United Nations to invite non-governmental organizations accredited by the Preparatory Committee with due regard inter alia to the relevance of their activities to the work of the conference, to participate in the conference along the lines followed in the Preparatory Committee. In the same resolution, the Assembly clarified what it understood by participation, namely attending meetings of its plenary and unless otherwise decided by the conference in specific situations, formal meetings of its subsidiary bodies, except the drafting group, receiving copies of the official documents, making available their materials to delegates, and addressing through a limited number of the representatives, its opening and or closing sessions as appropriate, in accordance with the rules of procedure to be adopted by the conference. We now turn to another aspect of the work of the special and ad hoc <coughs> committees, namely, the way they approach the topic they intend to codify or progressively develop. Often, these bodies, rather than approaching a topic or an area of international concern 
in its entirety from a global perspective. They have frequently resorted to the breaking down of certain areas in international law and relations in order to proceed to their codification or progressive development. This piecemeal approach, as it may be called, has been applied in fields such as human rights, disarmament, outer space, the environment, international terrorism, and so on. Sometimes the adoption of this piecemeal approach has been the result of an initial methodological decision responding to various criteria for the subdivision of the topics, such as, for instance, the acts involved, the location where the acts involved take place, the nature of the subjects of the subjects covered by the instrument in question, or the repression, the punishment, or the prevention of the acts involved. Some other times, the piecemeal approach by these other bodies has been the result, at least in part, of the political difficulties involved in the process. A relevant example of what has just been said is given by the various instruments adopted with respect to the legal fight against international terrorism. During the 70s, the Ad Hoc Committee Against International Terrorism had endeavored on several occasions to draft a global convention on the matter. But those efforts failed. The main hurdle against the materialization of this global approach were the political difficulties encountered in trying to find a general definition of terrorism. One of the problems was related to the possible inclusion in the definition of the notion of state terrorism, a notion which had been sponsored by a number of states and opposed by others. The efforts towards a global convention against international terrorism have continued until today in the General Assembly of the United Nations through the work carried out by the present Ad Hoc Committee on International Terrorism and the Sixth Committee. But 40 years after the first attempts in the 70s, such efforts have not yet borne fruit. The most recent assembly resolution on this matter, namely Resolution 68 bar 119 of 16 December 2013, just uh, December last year, acknowledges in its operative paragraph 24 that, as observed by the ad hoc committee, more time is needed to achieve substantive results as regard as regards the pending questions. This lack of results by the global approach led states over the last 40 years to adopt a more realistic attitude and thus resort to the piecemeal approach that we mentioned earlier. As a matter of fact, the piecemeal approach has sought to identify some acts 
or other specific aspects of international terrorism, to define them by a large consensus of the international community, and to conclude conventions seeking to prevent, repress, and punish such acts. Twelve conventions and four protocols covering specific aspects of international terrorism have thus been concluded within the United Nations system. These aspects, covered by one or more specific instruments, include, include acts committed on board aircraft, unlawful seizure of, seizure of aircraft, unlawful acts against the safety of civil aviation, crimes against internationally protected persons, including diplomatic agents, the taking of hostages, the physical protection of nuclear material, unlawful acts against the safety of maritime navigation, unlawful acts of violence at airports, unlawful acts against the safety of fixed platforms on the continental shelf, the marking of, pla of plastic explosives for the purpose of detection, terrorist bombings, the financing of terrorism, and acts of nuclear terrorism. It may also be noted, on the other hand, that a global approach in the drafting of instruments for the prevention, repression, and punishment of international terrorism has been more successful at the regional level, as shown by a number of instruments adopted inter alia at the inter-American, European, South Asian, and African levels. This may be explained by the fact that regions do not always necessarily present the ideological divisions and the variety in the political spectrum which are so characteristic of the United Nations scenario. Reflecting on the respective advantages and disadvantages of the piecemeal and global approaches just referred to, we may conclude, as evidenced by the example of the fight against international terrorism, to which we have just referred, that a piecemeal approach can often be almost as effective as the global approach in the codification and progressive development of a given area of international reality. The unity and systematization of the norms regulating such an area can be created not only through their inclusion in a single convention covering the whole area, but also through the inclusion of similar and uniform provisions in various conventions covering different aspects of the same international problem. In the case of international terrorism, the various conventions already mentioned, which refer to various aspects of the problem, contain, besides the specific rules relating to the individual aspect covered by each of them, also a number of common rules, which might be called 
a corpus communis on matters such as the principle audedere aud judicare, other aspects relating to national jurisdiction, international cooperation, and so on. On the other hand, the existence of multiple conventions on various aspects of the same area of international law may turn more complex the process of ratification and entering into force of the norms regulating such area, as compared to a single convention. But even with regard to this, not all the advantages are for the global approach. Sometimes the inclusion in a single convention of rules which cannot be subjected to reservations, for instance, may delay for years the process of ratification and entry into force of such convention. We shall now refer to some aspects related to the procedures and methods of work of the bodies, of the bodies we are considering. They offer a great variety and a flexibility in this regard, ex except for a feature common to all of them, namely the fact that the process develops in vari various stages, of which at least the following three can be observed. The proposal, the preliminary studies, and the establishment of the text itself. Representative examples of the variety to which we made reference are the procedures followed in the fields of human rights and outer space. All this is already very well examined in a document prepared, prepared by the Secretariat of the United Nations for consideration by the Sixth Committee of an item on the review of the multilateral treaty-making process, document a bar 35 bar 312 mentioned in the bibliography. Concentrating now on the practice followed by a special or ad hoc committees established on the recommendation of the six of the, the legal committee of the General Assembly, we may note a number of steps. First, a draft text is normally proposed by governments, either as a document attached to the request for inclusion of a new item in the Assembly's agenda, or as a working document of a special or an ad hoc committee. Often, but not always, the Assembly requests the Secretary General to, to transmit to governments the text of the future treaty or assembly declaration so as to have their written observations and comments subsequently reproduced as an analytical report of the Secretary General. As regards the working method of such subsidiary bodies, it is a usual practice to start with the general debate setting the substantive positions of delegations on the proposed text. Such debate is usually held in plenary sessions. One of two things may result from the general debate. Either there is general agreements to take the draft text as a basis for the work of the body concerned, or instead such draft text raises 
serious objections. If this is the case, if it raises serious objections, a waiting period may follow during which alternative texts may be submitted to substitute in part or as a whole for the original text. Once there is general agreement on the text which will be the basis for the committee's work, it is customary to proceed to an article-by-article article or paragraph-by-paragraph paragraph examination of the text. Usually, this is not done in plenary meetings, but rather in working group meetings. The working group has the same membership as the plenary body but its meetings are less formal and closed to the public. All meetings, whether plenary or working group ones, are held in all working languages of the organization. In this connection, the question of the possible creation of a drafting committee deserves some attention. It is well known that the establishment every year of a drafting committee by the International Law Commission is one of the hallmarks of its procedure. For its part, the final report on the topic review of the multilateral treaty making process to which we made reference earlier, contains a paragraph stressing the need to encourage the practice to set up drafting committees in the midst of negotiation bodies and, in particular, the convenience for a main committee of the General Assembly, when it acts as a negotiation body, to envisage the possibility of setting up a drafting committee in accordance with the rules of procedure of the General Assembly. The Resolution 39 bar 90 of the Assembly had a document AC639L12, which was the final report on this matter distributed to all member states. In spite of all this, it cannot be said that the establishment of drafting committees is a procedural tool to which the sixth committee or its special or ad hoc committees may resort to with any frequency. One might be led to believe that in practice, drafting committees might exist within the working methods of these codification bodies without their actually being labeled that way. But this is not really the case. If by drafting committee one refers to a restricted organ of negotiations, we point out the political difficulties this might entail in practice, taking into account the concern about transparency to which we will refer in a minute a concern which is often expressed by delegations. If, on the other hand, by drafting committee, reference is made to an organ for the harmonization of the various linguistic versions, this, in practice, has been replaced by contacts and communications among interest delegations or among various linguistic groups and the secretariat. However, what does deserve to be stressed with regard to the working methods and as a complement to the establishment of a working group to which we referred earlier is the fact 
that the most delicate aspects of the negotiation, namely those concerning either the most controversial aspects of the draft or those aspects which are of a special interest to a certain number of states, are often examined in the course of informal consultations, which will not be recorded in the report of the committee. This not only contributes to strengthen the freedom of delegations in expressing their views, but also to allow for their positions to become more flexible. As a rule, informal consultations are conducted in English on the basis of a text drafted also in English, since, as a matter of fact, English is shared by all delegations. There is usually in the procedures and methods of work of the bodies we are dealing with here, a concern about transparency in the conduct of work. And this results in a sort of aspiration on the part of a great number of delegations to participate or at least to be consulted in the drafting process of a text, which in the long run and through various compromises might become the object of a consensus. This is why informal consultations are usually open to all willing delegations, unless, of course, they only concern certain delegations in a specific proposal that they wish to advance. And with these remarks, I conclude my observations on the contribution of a special and ad hoc committees of the General Assembly to the codification and progressive development of international law. Thank you very much for your attention.